You know, it's hard to define the group of guys I hung out with in high school. So I'm going to allow one of the more popular guys to define us for you. He was a football player. In fact, he was good friends with the late NFL defensive lineman Tony Saragusa, the goose, if you've ever heard of him. He went to my high school. So one of his buddies, Louie, would sit with us senior year during lunch, even though he had friends in the lunch period that we had. So one day somebody asked, hey, why don't you sit with your buddies? Why do you sit with us? He's a good guy. I mean, we didn't mind him being there. And he said, you know, when I was a freshman on the football team, on Mondays, as we were getting ready for football practice in the locker room, there were this couple of guys. He mentioned the guys' names. And they would talk about the antics they did over the weekend. And I would just laugh. And I wonder to myself, which group of guys in my class are going to be like these seniors? And he's like, you guys are it. And it's true. Like We would tell our stories, and he would just laugh as we are eating lunch of some of our antics. But just so you know, I wasn't one of the cut-ups. If you look at my high school yearbook, you would see that my friends often referred to me. The best way to say it is I was the Jiminy Cricket. I was the guy who probably reined in or at least gave them pause to think. Sometimes, Most times they didn't listen to me. But at least I put it out there. Hey, do you think this is a good thing? Something bad could really happen if we actually do this, you know. And my friends in my high school yearbook, several of my good friends, wrote something to that effect that they were thankful that I was around at times to be the voice of reason. Fast forward to about 30 years later, we had sold our house and the house we were going to buy, the septic failed. So the seller had to put in a new septic for us, which essentially meant we didn't have a place to live and we didn't have a place to live over Christmas. So here I am, I had a daughter, one daughter was a four-year-old in nursery school. I had a second grade daughter. My wife and I, during December, you know, January, the winter season, we were without a house. And over the Christmas break, that group of crazy guys I hung out with in high school, we went out to eat. And my friend Fred, who is a cop, a very well-distinguished cop, just looked at me and said, you know what, Kev? Out of all our group of friends, you were the last guy that I ever thought could honestly say you were homeless. Because I was. But this week on the parent-teacher conference, we are going to have an interview with a former longtime member of a school district's board of education. And the story I just told you will not make sense unless you listen to the very end. So I hope that you do. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan dot school and imagine what your classroom space will look like on fan school welcome to your parent teacher conference 
where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And today we have an interview with a former board member from the Mount Olive School District in New Jersey. His name is Mark Werner. He served for 18 years. For, I think, about half of them, he was the board president. He shares on a couple of topics, why and how to run as a member of the Board of Education, some of the misconceptions that people have about the Board of Education. However, the two I believe are strongest that you I would be beneficial to listen to if you're a board member or a concerned citizen that you could bring this to your board. One is how Mount Olive generated other revenue streams other than state funding or funding through property taxes. I'll mention during the interview of a teacher in the Mount Olive district that was going for her administrative license and had to look at school budgets. So she looked at Mount Olives during the terms of Mark Werner and her comment to me was, you know that the revenue that is generated by the school district always supersedes what their budget believes they're going to make. When they put a turf field down at the middle school or high school or get an inflatable dome to put over one of their athletic fields, not just to serve as a place where their teams can practice during rain or extra space for gym classes, but facilities they can rent out to the public and make money for the school district to protect programming that affects the students. So it doesn't detract from the goal of the school district, but actually enhances it. But I'll let Mark explain that to you more. So listen for that one. The other one, listen to... He gets very passionate near the end talking about new board members. The rest is really good to listen to, but I think he gets very passionate on those two issues and there's a lot to grasp there. But of course, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you have a question for Mark, and I'm sure he would, um, he would use me as an intermediary to reach back to you. If you want to email me a, me a question or you have a question for Mark, you can always reach out to us at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That's P as in parent, T as in teacher, C as in conference, podcast 411, all one word, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Share your questions, share your ideas, share your comments. I love to interact with the audience. And again, if you have a question for Mark, I am more than happy to share it with him, and I am sure that he will respond back to you. And I think this interview is apropos considering that we are in, for many of us, the season for Board of Education elections. In fact, if you go back in the archives of my podcast, you'll find an episode called BOE Elections, where I give my insights as a teacher and as a parent, how I go about finding information out about the candidates, also how I go about selecting a board member trying to balance the fact that I am a teacher and I get it from the teacher end, but at the same time, knowing as a parent, as a taxpayer, there are certain concerns as well. That's BOE Elections. If you like this podcast, if you have friends 
you know, the Board of Education elections are tend to be the least focused upon. And they're most, they have the most impact on your everyday life, especially if you have children. So I would recommend that you push this podcast out to friends. You can share the link. There's a little box with an arrow pointing up. You click on that. It says copy link. And just text that out and say, hey, listen to this interview with a board member. It gives you a better perspective of what it's like to serve on a board of education. Or the BOE elections where I go about talking my ideas of what makes a good board member. Of course, you can always just tell your friends, take a listen to the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. They can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. There are two of them that are current. So the one that you want to tell your friend to look for is the guy with the baseball hat on with a coffee mug covering up his mug because I'm a pretty ugly guy and I wouldn't want to have to scare people by actually seeing my full face. Before I start the interview, there are two issues I need to mention. One, one thing we will not broach in the interview is negotiations between teachers and the Board of Education. It's not because I'm a teacher and I want to hide that from you. It's not, I, w- I would love to have gotten into that with him. The problem being that his wife is a teacher. And because of that, he was not allowed in negotiations. In fact, he could not even vote for the contract. He had to recuse himself or abstain from the vote. He said that he wasn't even allowed to know how the negotiations were going. He knew about the contract. The first time he knew about the contract or what was settled was when the contract was presented to the board for ratification. And like I said earlier, he couldn't even vote on it. He had to abstain. So there will not be a discussion about that issue. The second thing is Mark's not going to get into a lot of specifics. And that is really more of a mark of his humility. There was a point where I asked a question about in his 18 years on the board, what were his favorite accomplishments? And he really didn't want to go there. He said, you know, it's not me. It's not the board. We're just doing our job. And thus, I think he holds back from sharing some of the wonderful accomplishments, which I'm going to share in a minute with you, because he doesn't want the attention on him. It reminds me of a quote from Ronald Reagan that says, there is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. There is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. And I believe Mark Warner exemplifies that quote. Since he didn't do it, let me share with you some of the things that were accomplished in his almost 20 years on the Board of Education at Mount Olive. STEM Labs and Robotics Club, including an underwater STEM lab. Think about that. Underwater STEM lab. A state-of-the-art recording studio. And there's something called the Rock and Roll Academy now because of that at the high school. I mentioned this turf fields and the dome. They eliminated the D, meaning that you either get A, B, C, or F in your classics. So they were like, what's a D? I mean, really? And it makes sense. Further development of their TV and media capabilities for the students who want to be involved in those fields of endeavor when they head off to college and career. 
instead of renting space in a professional building for the Board of Education offices, actually buying a professional building, along with many others. A current board member has stepped aside this year after serving many years herself on the Mount Olive Board, and there was an interview in a local paper with her. Of the five mentors she mentioned, most of them are currently still serving on the board. One, I believe this was his first year off the board after many years. The only one who hasn't served on the board that she mentioned, and he hasn't served on the board in over six years, is Mark Werner. And it kind of shows the shadow and the legacy that he had while serving on the Mount Olive Board. And in terms of that legacy, I can tell you this. I have a friend who was able to tour the Mount Olive High School facilities, and her children go to the high school where the students I teach go to. And she flat out said, if I had to choose to buy a house all over again, I would have chose Mount Olive because the opportunities in Mount Olive High School go far beyond what is being offered at the high school my kids are going to. And the amazing thing about that statement is the high school that her kids are going to is always considered one of the top 10 in New Jersey. Like I said, the neat thing about Mark is he's going to be very proud of what was accomplished during his tenure, but he doesn't need to receive the credit for the help he provided in accomplishing it. And like I said earlier, please listen to the end. Because at the end, I'm going to make that connection with the story about me being homeless to Mark Werner. And it will really drive home the point of everything I just said. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Listen to my commentary at the end to find out the connection between homelessness, me, and Mark Werner. The Parent-Teacher Conference tonight has an interview with Mark Werner. He was a board member of the Mount... Olive School District for 17 years, is that correct? 18. 18 years. Served as the president of the board for how many years? Oh, geez. Um, probably almost 10 of those 18 years. And he's going to give us some insights about being a board member. Hopefully, if you've never served on a board of education, he'll let you know some insights, maybe dispel some fallacies that surround members of the board. But first, Mark, tell me, what made you want to be a board member? Like, what was the driving force that decided that you were going to run? Most most people run for the board when they're when they think of it is mostly because their kids are in the school district and there's something that you want to get involved in. There, you might have been involved in the the PTA association and you want to go to the next level, but probably primarily uh, probably because of something uh, with it, with something with you know, with your child within the district. What one thing did you bring to the table that you felt was beneficial? as a Board of Education member? Mostly, mostly my, my planning, my financial background, my, be, uh, my ability to do uh, strategic, my, like I said, my strategic planning background. Okay. Now, when you're on the Board of Education, what is, if you, there's many, we know there's many different areas, budget, uh, facilities, personnel, curriculum. What is the one that took up the primary amount of time? For, for you, or do you think for the board, for a board in general, what it, what takes up consumes most of your time? 
Well, it all depends on which area. There's there's multiple different specialties for on the board. Um, and like like you mentioned, I mean, there's there's personnel, there's curriculum, there's per, um, there's uh, everything from facilities, there's uh, um, finance, there's also ne- different negotiations, both for administrative and also for teachers negotiation, um, and there's um, administrative. So it all depends on what your interest is. And one year you may be in personnel, another year you may be in facilities. So it, it really fluctuates. Now, when you first got elected to the board, is, there, is it just on-the-job training? Is it, does somebody pull you aside, or it's just you're on it and sink or swim? No, uh, the New Jersey Board of Edu- uh, board, School Board, you do have to go through a period of, or uh, you go to an orientation. Uh, when you're a new board member, you go to a new, uh, new board member training. You have to go through an orientation. They go through the whole gamut of what is a board member, what do you do, what's a protocol. And then what you do is there is a form of a mentorship when you do onto a board, just to give you a background, give you an understanding. It's a little difficult when you're a new board member because you come on and you get elected and you think, oh boy, here I go, I'm a board member and everything. And there's a lot to learn. There's a lot, lot to learn. And it's your first, really your first term of a board member you really, I don't want to say this negatively, but you're really not adding a lot of value until, really, until if, if you do have a chance to get reelected your second term, because there's so much to learn and there's so much to understand. Uh, your first year is you're really just learning. Your second year, you're just getting acclimated. Your third year, you're starting to add value and then your, your first term is over. And then you have to, if you wish, you run for re-election. It's a lot to get on. It's a lot to get on, um, get to understand and really get the exposure to it. So your first term as a board member is a lot of acclimation, a lot of learning. Let's bring up elections for a second, because one thing I've said in an earlier podcast is the school board, along with town council, is probably the one that our lives are most affected by in town. And it's usually the least the least sourced or you know, it's more difficult to get information even though it probably has the more direct effect, you know, even just as simply as t- property taxes. Word of mouth, your pod if you want to call that, you have your area of where you're at, uh, your, your areas of socialization, be it where your children, if they were in band or if they're in sports or if they're in certain things, you, your group of uh, socialization and you, you meet people and you just try to get your name out. And, and really, that's what it is. It's, like, just, it's really just, you know, the old shake hands and kiss babies. And that's really what it comes down to. Sounds like a lot of networking. So that, that's know, really what it yeah, is. That's you really your friend, what it comes you're running, you, you hope they, hey, I got a friend, Mark, who's running for board. He's really great. Right. And also what it comes down to, and it's really, it's proven out a lot of times, is uh, your location on the ballot. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it, it's really statistically it comes out to uh, the first person on the ballot usually gets about to twenty percent of the votes, and uh, 
It's you, you shoot for where they lay out on the ballot, you shoot for the top three because after the top three, you usually don't it, it you don't really get the it's usually the top three on the ballot that get elected. Yeah, and that's that's the shame of it because yeah. again, so especially in New Jersey where a lot of our property tax is going to the school budget. You want people that's who know what to do. Yeah. And know. instead people are just going click, 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 one, two, three. Right. Yes. I mean, of your property taxes, sixty percent of it is the school board goes mm-hmm. to the school. Yeah. Sixty to seventy percent of your property taxes go to the school. Now, let me tell you how I think of a board member, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. A board member has the big picture of the school. You hire the superintendent. You hire the admins. You, the, in a sense, the staff, especially in a bigger district, Mount Olive, Chester has where I work. The superintendent's a lot more hands-on. There's a lot smaller district. So correct me if I'm wrong. In a bigger district, you, you depend upon the admins to make the call for regular teaching staff. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, does the board run the district? That's the biggest fallacy that is around right now. The board does not run the district. The responsibility of the Board of Education is to set policy and be the controller of the fiduciary responsibility of the district. The board is strictly to set policy of the district. They hire the superintendent, and anything that happens, the superintendent is the person that runs the district in any school district. The board supports the superintendent in what they do in running the district. So if you go to any board meeting, any time that there's a motion or any time that there is anything that happens, you will hear that before anything is uh, ratified, it is prefaced with on the recommendation of the superintendent, the following action items are as follows. And that is what is said before any action item on any agenda item for or at a board meeting. So anything is brought in front of the board by the superintendent. And basically, the superintendent gives the board the recommendation. So if there's a hiring, if there's a firing, if there is a change, anything like that, it comes from the recommendation of the superintendent. We set policy, the school board would set policies, and that is it. So if uh, a policy to, you know, should home uh, homeschool students be allowed to participate in sports, that would be a policy that would come from the school board. Uh, should the school uh, district hire a new um, athletic director, that comes from a recommendation from the superintendent. Should we hire a new um, history teacher? That comes from the superintendent. Policy comes from the, would come from the school board. That's how it runs. We, the school board, would not run the district. So, but at the same time, you said a recommendation, say, for a hiring of a history teacher. You do have some oversight because, you, like you said, fiduciary um, concerns. You could raise a point of... Do we have the funds to hire this history teacher? So the superintendent would have to defend. The superintendent would have to have the budget to be able to propose that. If the superintendent 
would want to hire that history teacher at a step five, he would have to make or she would have to make that recommendation. Okay. And if we didn't think that they could hire, all we could do is vote it down. And if they want to come back with another step, that's what it would be. But they would have to make sure, again, they would have the responsibility to make sure the budget was in balance mm-hmm. with the superintendent and the business administrator. So that's how it would be done. It would, and, it would, and if you did vote it down, it would, it would be a, almost like a vote of no confidence to your superintendent. Right, exactly. So it would have to be something really, if you're going to vote no on it, it would have to be something Because before strong. they would bring it to the whole entire board, mm-hmm. it would go through the personnel committee, which would be also from the board standpoint, the superintendent would take it to that subcommittee before the superintendent would bring it to the board. So the superintendent would take it to, this, uh, to the personnel committee, which would be probably made up of three or four board members. So they, that superintendent probably would have a pulse before coming to the full board. And that's good because I think a lot of times when you look at the minutes of a board meeting or even watch the board meeting on video, you see a lot of unanimous votes. Right. But it makes sense when you say it, when you hear this, what you're saying, it makes sense why it's unanimous. Again, the question of it's already, gone, it's already been vetted through a committee, right. and probably that committee is already talking to other board members of what's Correct. going to be proposed. And then the issue of no confidence. You really want to send a message to your superintendent that you don't trust him or her right. in running the district. Right. In my podcast about how I go about voting for the Board of Education, my big what I see is probably the biggest area, and you've brought it up several times already, is the budget. Mm-hmm. So the how difficult is it to come to a budget knowing that you have teachers who want raises, you have facilities that have to be maintained, you want you have teachers or admins saying we want new, you know, I mean a new facility, new curriculum, more teachers added to help us out, like it's true needs of the student, and also answering to your taxpayer. Now that they're, they they're trying to hold the line, so they're proper, especially in New Jersey where property tax are through the roof anyhow, like you said earlier, about 60% is from the school budget. So how difficult was bringing all those communities together in agreement? Like how ugly did it get? Were there Was there a time, did you find a way to actually make it come together better, like a, a good approach? Or was there never really a good approach? You just had to figure out what was best for the district overall and you Everybody wasn't going to be happy. Somebody would be upset. And just just how it was. Well, honestly, that's that's where my strategic came into play. I mean, the only, it's it's very, it's very, it's remedial math, really. Real, very simple. Um, Because you have to come up with revenue sources. And that's what you have to do. And that's where it really gets into, um, you know, you, you have to make hard decisions and you have to come up with different ways. I mean, you can't, you can't spend more than what you have. And what Mount Olive has done and what we've, I don't know what they're doing now, but what we did when, when I was on the board is we were very progressive as far as coming up with revenue sources. You look at the dome, look at where the board office is. We're landlords. 
We're landlords on 206. Really? That building's owned by Mount Olivet Board of Education? We're Board of Ed. We're, ah. we're landlords. That's I never knew that. I always thought that you no, rent no, it. You no, rent no, it. No, 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 no. We own that. That second building over there. We're collecting rent from that. Wow, that so, is yeah. I, that, that's yeah. a revenue source. Yeah, that's a revenue source over there. Okay, and that that's you got it. You have money coming in from that. Okay, we have uh, the Magellan program. Okay, Magellan program of what people don't have. Instead of sending all the kids out of the district where we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. We were sending kids out to uh, placements and to these schools out, and we were, we were paying 50, 60, $70,000 a year for kids that were behavioral problems. We brought them into school and we made classrooms in our own school district. Not because they were anything of learning disability, but because they were behavioral problems. So we taught them in-house here. So what you have to do is you have to create things where you, you create revenue sources. You can't have aides where you're paying them $25,000 a year and you're giving them benefits for $35,000. That doesn't make sense. That's why you had to cut out the benefits. You can still pay them $25,000 for the being aid, but you can't give them $30,000, $35,000 worth of benefits. Sure, maybe it doesn't, maybe it wasn't the greatest, maybe they didn't like it, but it didn't make, where do, it doesn't make sense. Mm. We're not a welfare system. We can't do it. And I think that's a lot of people, a lot of people even bringing the teachers, how they have that opinion, just, just do it, just get the money there and... You, where, where are you going to get it from? There's only so much money. There's only so much you can actually go to the taxpayer and keep going for. And like you said, you've done some really amazing things that draw revenue into the school. I know one teacher in the district who was taking a master's course, and she was looking at the Mount Olive budget, probably went the time that you were still on the board. And she told me, she was like, it's amazing how much money they pull in that isn't from tax revenue. Right. And I think there are a lot of times even parents expecting the board to be able to do go beyond that. Like and like you said, you have to make hard decisions, right? Like the, right. the aides. Yeah, it would be nice that they can make But the other thing I can say is through this whole thing, we never cut the arts. Never, never cut the arts. You gotta have the arts. We never once cut the music program. Never once cut anything to do with the arts. And that's typically where a lot of schools exactly. will that's the easiest place to cut it. Mm-hmm. Never did. Look at look at the look at the auditorium we have at the middle school. Look at the auditorium we have at the high school. Look at what we built there. Never cut that. Look at and look what look what we reap from that now. Look at our orchestras that we have. I would put the orchestra we have at the middle school or the high school up against anyone that if anyone in the district, uh, not only the district, in any any other district that we have. The the music program that we have at the middle school, choral, orchestra, unbelievable. I think. Sorry for breaking into the interview. I just gotta say, like that last part about a board member seeking ways to support the arts for the students of a school district rather than to take them away and figure out other revenue streams. 
just amazing. I hope that gives you some ammunition. If your school district is trying to take away the arts rather than brainstorming ways to bring more money in to support the arts. But the reason I broke into this episode is to remind you if you have any questions for me or any questions for Mark, any comments you would like to make, please feel free to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. This P's and parent T's and teacher C's and conference podcast 411, all one word, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. I encourage you, if you found this through Facebook, to share it out to your friends. If you found it on a Twitter post, retweet it. And of course, always share the information of this podcast out simply by clicking on that share button, the box with the arrow pointing up, copying the link, texting it out to friends and telling them, encouraging them to listen to the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts as well. And one more thing before we get back to the interview is the reminder to stay listening through the very end. If you want to know the connection between my story in the beginning about my friends in high school and my months of being homeless and this interview, you have to stay to the end because I think it's an amazing story. And it gives you a little more insight onto the man who Mark Werner is. So back to the interview. One thing I know too about another misconception, whenever something bad happens at the school, and the school comes out, people don't understand you can't say anything. The, the, like, no, they, you know, the, school had, the school made no comment, where the parents are yapping away. So you always hear, you always feel bad for the parent. You hear one side, the Board of Education isn't doing anything. The superintendent, I'm correct on this, right? You mm-hmm. can't say anything. No, you can't, you can't comment on a, personnel act, on a personnel item or anything mm-hmm. like that. You can't. Yeah, legally you can't. So it's a, I think a lot of people don't realize that that you're, it's an ethical thing, and you said it's a legal thing for you yeah, to right. share um, information that is in public. Right. Okay. One of the things now, I'm a teacher. I try to be balanced. I've said on my podcast about when there's negotiations, and even when I vote for board members, I just want a board member to be fair mm-hmm. because. That's the best. I understand there's more factors than me just wanting a raise. So for you, like what there are times that board there's always seems like an animosity between board of education and teachers. Why do you think that is? It's I, I think it's always the idea of the employee boss relationship. I think it's, you know, the the board is the one that negotiates your contract and who's ever happy with the contract they have and who it's always the the parent child relationship you know the parent says no to the child and who what you know and is a child ever happy when the parent says no and and it's it's that type of relationship and so you know because whoever likes the person that says no to them you know and that's that's what the relationship is unfortunately because you know, you you always have that animosity against that that organization or that person that can that can say no to you. The board is usually the people that are in that community that the teacher is in. More than likely, nine chances out of ten, the people on the board, that teacher is teaching either their student or they have some type of association with that board member somehow, somewhere. 
that the teacher with that community in that community that the teacher's in. So I don't see that that animosity somehow somewhere it's either hearsay or what it it's some somebody has it built up in their mind because I don't know. I mean, I, I just can't see it. But like I said, my my 18 years that I've been in Mount Olive, I can honestly say I don't know if I if I was in a school more than three times whenever I was a board member, that would have been a lot. I just never went into a school. Not because I couldn't, but I really had no desire. I just... I'm not a teacher. I have no desire. I don't know how to teach. I don't want to teach. And that they're the ones who teach. So I have no value to add to them. Go do what you got to do. And that's, I, that's where, you know, some board members love to go into the schools and love to be there and just walk the halls in the schools. I was never one of those board members. So yeah. that's it. Now, I, I had the opportunity to have a board member actually of Chester during one of it, one of its darkest times when we actually voted on the, the strike. He was on the board and, and since I was the youngest teacher of the history department, they kind of pushed him off onto me. And he was a great guy. He was he was doing his internship. He he wanted to become a history teacher um, as a second career. And something he told me, and it's very different than what you just said, because he said after being in the school with me, he was coming in once a week for about four months. Mm-hmm. He said he wished that there was a law that every board member should go into a school once a year for a day to actually see how their policies are playing out in the school. Hmm. Yeah, what do you think of that? Is that, would that be, like, would that be would it have been beneficial for you to have to, not um, maybe not legally, it shouldn't be coerced right, to do it, no. but with. Could that be beneficial? Like, if there's a policy you passed, there were some concerns to actually go out and see it. No, not not myself personally. Yeah. No, I I the way I look at it is in Mount Olive, we had one high school, one middle school, and what four elementary schools. And the way I look at it is in each one of those buildings, we have a plant manager. The principals. And the way I look at it, it's up to those plant managers or principals to deal with that. If there's something of a policy, if there's something of that, that's their facility. If it's not working, that's for them to tell me. What I see, what I would see, what I would think, one way or the other, it's not for me to interpret. Because that one day, a week, a month, or whatever... It it would be a it would be a, a a too small a population too small a sampling to see because I would not get a correct or large enough sampling to really see how that's being implemented because I would not see a good enough cross section of that I would see what I would be receiving is a emotional sampling. And I would, myself personally, and this is where I'm coming from, I would want to see a factual sampling. And the only way I would get that is from my plant manager or my 
my operational manager, and that would come from my, to me, it would come from the principal. One of the facts that I saw of not going into the schools, because if I went into the schools, I would, I was, I would get pockets of information from teachers. When someone, a teacher would be having a bad day or something like that, I would get information from this first grade teacher one day and a third grade teacher this other day and then another middle school teacher this day and all of a sudden my mind would be completely cluttered and I I wouldn't know who to believe when to believe and then I would hear something from the principal on on a different day and I would say who do I believe Am I I believing you? I, to me, in my words, I have to believe that operational manager. I'm a strong believer in the chain of command. If I don't believe in you, then the whole system breaks down. When you had your, your own children in school, how did teachers react? Like if you went to a back to school night, parent teacher conference, even if you were watching one of your children, in a musical or in a sporting event, did did they treat? Did you feel like you were being treated than the other parents, or did you feel like they were either scared of you, afraid to say the wrong thing? What did you think? How did you perceive your relationship with the teachers? You would have to ask them. I don't know. So you so it didn't feel like they were like standoffish or. Actually, it's true. You couldn't really tell I, unless you watched them interact with other parents. I, very honestly, I've always, um, I, I, I think myself, I don't know about the teachers. I really don't. I, I would have to, you would have to ask them. Uh, I've never, I've always had, I was, that was a very big concern of mine with the kids. I've always asked my kids, very honestly, and I, I've asked them directly when they were going through, were you ever treated differently? Did teachers know that I was on the board? And did they, and they've always came back and said no, because that was another objective. I never really made myself, I never asked for anything. We never, you know, was it favoritism or never, so I don't know. I mean, I guess I would defer to other people. I mean, I don't know. I I never felt it. Um, I never, because I never went to a principal. I never went to a teacher. I never, never challenged a teacher. I never, not that I'm aware of at least. And I never ever went. I always had good relations with principals and um, and I think the reason why was for the fact that um, I never used the position for anything for self gains or I always tried to do the reverse from the standpoint of saying, you know, what is the district not doing for you? What can we do better for you? That's not being done or what, you know, tell me because of the the whole theme that I said before, as far as from a plant operation, what does your plant need that we can better support you to do for that? Um, You know, how can we do it? What can we do? What are you missing? Or, you know, what what do we need to focus on or or things like that? No, recently we've seen school boards, even in, the, in our area, not Mount Olive per se, but in our area, 
have parents come in on both sides of an issue, just not one, mm -hmm. very hot and heavy, wanting to spew out at the Board of Education. I'm sure in your 18 years, you've had situations where parents have come in to let loose, mm -hmm. maybe even at times personally, not personally attack, but personally attack the board as a, as a group, sure. not you as sure. individuals. How do you handle that? Like, how, how do you weed through the good and the bad and come up with what's best for the district? Or how do you appease them if you, if you, if you can? Maybe you don't appease them. So what, what happens? Well, it, again, it's a, it's a district. You're always, you have to sort things out. And you, you listen. You have to listen to the public. And then you have to, just like what you said, you have to sort it out and you have to sort out things as far as for the best for the district. You have to see what the public wants and what they're willing to do. It, 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 goes, back, it goes back to the whole thing as far as for the budget, okay? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, and this is always, I think a lot of districts face it. Mount Olive faced it. And we looked at it. Okay. We face the issue of privatization of, of busing. And privatization of busing is instead of having busing of the district owning the busing, you would go and have your contract busing to be outside and have an outside company take care of your busing. And we looked at it and uh, that was, it, it would save the district millions of dollars. And we looked at it, and that was, uh, at the time, we looked at it as far as a, a savings for the district of the dollars. And that was one of the proposals we had uh, as far as for the budget, and parents came up in front of us, and they were outraged. They just, they were irate, and they just said, we don't want it. We want the person that would come. We don't want an outsider coming and picking our children up. We want to be able to look at uh, and know the person who's coming to pick our children up day in and day out. We want the same person. We don't want a stranger coming one week, this person, next week, the other person. And we listened to this. We saw this and and we, we put it out there and saying, you know what the cost is going to be. And and they said, we don't care. It, was, it means more to us that we know and identify with the bus driver who's going to come and pick our children up and okay you understand this is what it's going to cost and the sacrifices that you're going to make and you understand that it might not allow us to have this program or that program and they said yes we do and okay you're not going to appease everybody but you try to look at it and you try to go and against what the majority is and you look. And sometimes you have straightforward and easy decisions and sometimes you have to make the hard decisions. And you're not going to make everyone happy. And then parents are parents. Sometimes they make emotional decisions and sometimes, you know, you like I said, you can't appease everybody. And sometimes as a board member, you know, I can't say you, that's why we get paid the big bucks, but because board members don't get paid anything. Um, and so you just make the decisions and that's what happens and that's it. And you let, you try to listen and you try to take all the facts in and at the end of the day, you have to make the decisions.
If you had to give advice to a new board member, what mindset should they go when they sit down in that seat and serve for three years? What's the mindset they should have? The mindset they should be they should have is don't be a politician. Be open-minded. Be willing to learn. Don't come in there with an agenda. Come there with the idea of listening. The big thing is come there and understand the environment. Do not come there with the idea that you're going to come there to change anything. Come with the idea of understanding. I can't stress enough. Understand the environment. Too many people come onto the board thinking they're going to come and change the world. Because before you want to go and come on to a board and come in and inflict all this change, you have to understand the board and understand the district before you think you can implement any change. And if you come on there with the idea in the first year, you have an agenda and a list of all these changes. And, oh, you're going to, you know, everyone wants to come on there and say, we're going to improve communications with the community. Well, understand what you can communicate to the community. And then, because otherwise you're going to turn around and fail. Because people think the board doesn't communicate with the community. But like you said earlier, understand what you can communicate to, com to the community. Understand where and what the board can give out. Understand what the board's not giving out and why. It's a whole process of understanding and learning. So don't come there with an agenda. Come there with the agenda of learning and understanding. That's what I would recommend. We're going to end with two questions that um, are going to be a little off topic, but not for the podcast. The podcast is called the Parent Teacher Conference Podcast. First one, think of the best teacher you ever had. What made them a good teacher? Best teacher I ever had was a teacher that challenged everyone, that challenged you constantly, that never gave you the answer but pushed you to give the answer. They knew the answer and wanted you to provide the answer. And when you left their class, you were always so upset because they pushed you so much. And they, you were never satisfied when you left their class because you were constantly challenged all the time all just whenever you gave an answer they gave something back to you you were never like you never got a data boy it was never like oh good job nice job very happy you were always it was always like okay well what about this oh son of a you know and then you were never it was never you know you were never done you were never finished so that was, to me, it was always the best teacher. It was never, you were, you, were, you were never complete. You were never, it was never finished. This, the last one is, 
thinking of your parents, what is the best lesson, advice that they've ever given you that you said that was, that this is something I've lived by because of them? From my parents, what was the best lesson I ever learned from my parents? Compassion. And, oh, and yes, the Midwest work ethic. Um, what is the Midwest work ethic? How would you define it for, especially you lot of my listeners on the, in the Northeast? <laughs> Midwest work ethic is you just, you just do it. You get it done. Whatever it takes to get done. Well, it sounds like you get it done, no excuses. You just you yeah. put your, you know. You, you don't the stop. Yeah, there, there's no, you, you, you um, I, I don't want to sound like a, like a, you know, like someone doesn't have it, but uh, you're, I, I guess it's a bulldog mentality. Keep going. Perse- perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't stop. I mean, it just, you get it done um, and you complete it. I mean, I, I don't know how you describe it. I'll be honest with you. It's just, I, it's been born in me forever. I've always had it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you describe it. I mean, no, I think you did. I honestly, what I was going to end this with is I think you did. If you listen to this podcast, you hear the compassion. Uh, it, it might not be like over the top gooey, but you're, you're saying that you were concerned about the district. There's the compassion for the school and, and improve it. And the work ethic is what you've done throughout your 18 years in and making sure that occurred so i think that's a, that's two wonderful things your parents taught you that was evident in your time at the board i'm sure in your family where you work uh, i just want to thank you it's been very fascinating thank you for your time mark and uh, happy to do it hope to talk soon happy to do it kevin been a pleasure thank you thank you wow i hope you enjoyed that interview if you have any questions for mark any comments Anything for me, again, please feel free to reach out at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference, podcast411, all one word, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember to share this out with friends, share it out through Facebook, Twitter, text to the friends, use that little share button, the box with the arrow pointing up to help out, or just say to your friends, Look for the podcast, the Parent Teacher Conference podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. The guy with the mug covering his mug. And look for the episode on BOE Interview. And also listen, tell them to encourage them to listen to the Board of Education Election podcast episode as well. Now, I told you a story in the beginning about my months of homelessness, how my one friend said of all my friends that he was shocked that I could actually say I was them being homeless. I guess he, he thought it'd be one of my other crazy friends that would have happened to. Thankfully, it never did. Because my friends may have been crazy, but they were good guys. They were all hard workers. But let's get back to how that story about my few months of being homeless while, while my house, new house's septic tank was being put in, how Mark Warner was part of that. I work with a great group of people. When I mentioned my dilemma that my house was closing in early December and it didn't look like I was going to be able to get into my new house until late February, two women came forward who I worked with. One had a summer house nearby, a lake house, 
that would be ready after the new year. But that still gave us December to be concerned about. And the Spanish teacher I work with, her name is Kathy Werner. And she said, let me talk to my husband. We could probably put your family up. Remember, it's my wife, myself, and my two daughters. At that time, one was a second grader. The other was in nursery school. Her husband was Mark Werner. And they graciously opened up their house for the month. And let me tell you two stories about that month that we lived in their house that will help you understand the man that Mark is, his humility, and I think truly summarizes what he talked about at the end, the idea of the Midwestern work ethic. He was having trouble defining it. In fact, it's very that that section is very edited because he was struggling with putting a definition on it. These two stories will define it for you. When my wife and I and the kids came over to talk about the arrangement of us living in their house for a month, it was going to be during Christmas. And for most of that week, Mark and Kathy would be going back to visit family in Wisconsin. So we would be there by ourselves. So we're talking about that. And Mark just said, do you guys want a Christmas tree? And Kathy had told us that they really didn't decorate for the holidays all that much because they weren't there. And their kids, they were empty nesters at this point. All their kids were in their careers out on their own. And they were going to be in Wisconsin. So they didn't really do Christmas anymore. So when Mark said... Do you want a Christmas tree? We already knew that. And my wife was like, nah, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. We'll be." And he kind of put his fist down and said, no kid who celebrates Christmas is going to be living under my roof without a Christmas tree. It, he, he was kind of upset by it. He, he wanted the kids to have that experience. And lo and behold, a week, not even a week after we moved in, here comes Mark home from work with a Christmas tree. And Kathy brought out the old ornaments and she starts playing Christmas music and my girls were decorating a Christmas tree that they did, he didn't have to get for us. It served him no benefit to have that tree. He talked a lot about fiduciary and what, what does it benefit? And it, he didn't do it because it benefited him. He did it because he knew that the, my daughters would be missing something that Christmas without a Christmas tree. Just like we, he was a member on the Board of Education, he made hard decisions because he felt it would best serve other people's kids. And I think that so rings true in that story. But remember what I said? It didn't benefit him. It, it did. And let me explain another story that happened during that month, where I can, and I'll explain why it benefited him. For most of the month we lived there, not only was my dear friend Kathy not there because she was out visiting family in Wisconsin, but she was also dealing with a family issue. And she wasn't there a lot of the nights. So, and my wife worked late some of those nights. So often it was my family and Mark. And Mark had a little room, kind of like his office, that was off the kitchen where he would do work, watch TV, mostly sports games, Packers games, again, Wisconsin. They had a finished basement with couches and a TV and a table. We kind of 
would set up shop down there and watch TV with the family, kind of hung out with the family away from Kathy and Mark to give them their space, give them their privacy. But we would have to cook up in their kitchen. Again, Mark's office just off the kitchen. And we would cook and then bring our food downstairs to the table in the finished basement, watch TV, talk, and kind of, again, give Mark his space. After a few days of that, Mark said, why you bring your food downstairs? You got to bring it back up here to wash it in the sink anyhow. Why you just sit at the kitchen table and eat your dinner? And I realized, and I, I shared this with his wife, and I said, after it was all over, I said, I think he just enjoyed hearing family talk again. Again, his kids were out of the house. And I, I personally, I, I, mean, I might be wrong, I, I don't think so. I think he sat in his office watching his games or doing his work, hearing the chatter of a family again in the kitchen, just like he loved being around his family and his kids. Bringing, I hope it brought back great memories. You know, like I said earlier, Mark had a difficult time defining the Midwestern work ethic that he said was a gift that his parents gave to him that he truly appreciated. He had a tough time telling us what it meant. I can tell you why he had a difficult time defining the Midwestern work ethic his parents gave him. Because Mark Werner embodies the Midwestern work ethic and the compassion that his parents taught him. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students. But good parents love those students, their children, deeply.